Support for Dissecting the 80s is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming champions of the world. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped just launched their fourth-generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right, the 4.0. Join over 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code macho at manscaped.com. That's M-A-C-H-O at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code macho at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com when you use M-A-C-H-O macho. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Your balls will thank you. Welcome to Dissecting the 80s. I am Trip Lano, one half of the Mega Podcasting Powers. And with me, as always, is my tag team partner, a man who probably would have gotten a little more buck wild with an unlimited shopping spree ahead of his impending death, the Macho Major. Andrew Lano. And yeah, I would. It would have been like more like the adult version of Kevin McAllister spending in Home Alone 2. Not to reference that again two weeks in a row, or two episodes in a row, but... Wait, no, did we talk about that in that? Or did we talk about, uh, I thought we talked about blank. No, I'm re- I, we referenced cheese pizza in a limousine, I'm pretty sure. Oh, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. Yeah, no limousine cheese pizza here in Joe versus the Volcano. Uh, welcome to the latest chapter of Dissecting the 80s, the one where we can slightly reach past the years 1980 to 1989. And we're doing that here with a movie that, boy howdy, is an 80s movie, even though it is not by the numbers. Uh, came out March of 1990, so just, just barely past the finish line. Uh, the, the de- I think, delightful Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan vehicle, Joe versus the Volcano. And we watched it, so you know... We gotta go back. We gotta go dissect the 80s. It's your not-surrealist-enough-surrealism. Something's gonna be about your not-surreal-enough-surrealism. When the mega powers explode! I'm talking about the 80s. Oh, yeah. Great Scott! Cream of the crop. Oh, 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 yeah. Mega powers, yeah! When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious shit. So this is definitely a first time for you, right? Yes, it is. Although it definitely feels like, again, to reference something we mentioned before, it feels like it would be a rental cabin movie or like a beach house rental movie. Oh, for sure. Like it feels like a movie no one buys, but a movie people just like have or come across. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yes, although I do own it. It's one of those print-on-demand Blu-rays where it's like, hey, somebody ordered one of those Joe vs. the Volcanoes and some poor intern has to like manually print and That's a thing? your Blu-ray together and send it to you. Yeah, there's like a... Warner started a... I think they call it the Warner Archive, and it's like a select number of titles that can be purchased, and they're purchased on demand, so they... They have less special features. If some of them don't have any, the um, the quality might not be quite so high, but they uh, allow for a greater catalog to be purchased because it's, you know, they don't have to make 10,000 or 100,000 copies. That's pretty cool. Movie. Yeah, I think so. Uh, but this this came into my life. Uh, my girlfriend was about to turn 30 a few years ago. We were on vacation and it was like, 
uh, conversation about like, oh, you know, what do you want to do? We were traveling at the time. We're on this big road trip. And so there wasn't like a lot you could do to make it special. So I was like, I don't know. Is there like a movie you'd like to watch on your birthday or like some television episodes or something like we can rent it or whatever? And she she picked this out. Uh, I've said Boken before about how her house, the movie collection was kind of like a rental cabin, as you described. But <laughs> We put this on and we started watching it, and immediately I was entranced by it uh, just from the opening. Uh, you know, so it was a movie she knew, or just a movie she, she loved, really grew up loving. Huh. Yeah, big fan. Yeah, yeah. And uh, <laughs> she, we were watching it, and she's you know singing "16 Tons," which is the song that it starts with, and then she starts doing Dan Hedaya's dialogue in the in the opening scene here. And I was like, wow, she never does this. Like, she does not have this relationship with any movie. And then she kept doing the dialogue. And I finally had to be like, hey, I am so sorry to squash this. But, like, I cannot watch this movie if you're going to do all of the dialogue. I'm so I, sorry. I, like, want you to see that happen now. Um, and she, you know, of course, laughed with me. Like, it was it was funny. But, uh, yeah, super, super fan of this movie. At least the opening she can do verbatim. I, I want to see that now. I feel like I've never seen that from her her that's not her steez so it was it was very funny but uh it's well justified because i think the opening of this movie if even if you don't like this movie which is fine i mean i disagree with you but it's fine the opening of this movie is i think magic this is just pure wonder and loveliness we got tom hanks going into work with a huge crowd of people uh something i noticed on this watch for the podcast is that the path they're walking to the the entrance of the building is the shape of the company's logo Mm. okay and then later, that same that same shape is the path up the volcano. Oh, it is. Yeah, it is. Which I, I thought was this whole sequence looks like it looks like that. I think it is it the first Apple commercial or just one of the early ones that they make fun of in Futurama. The the nineteen eighty four. I think so. It's, yeah, yes, nineteen eighty four. The <laughs> the book. Yes, the book. Yeah, yeah. Is it, I. Yeah, totally. It's super drab. It's definitely very reminiscent of that. It's honestly, you know, you could watch this movie and be like, oh, this is a science fiction movie. Yeah, I think that's what part I, I because I went in very blind. I didn't know anything about it. And so I was just sort of like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be getting right now. Like, what vibe is this? Because the poster art. Sure, sure. That's pretty much the only thing I saw. The poster art does not belay this story that we get in the beginning. It doesn't relay any story. Yeah, it looks it looks like Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan are going to go movie. on a cruise. Right, right. Uh, this is directed, we should start by saying, uh, written and directed by John Patrick Shanley, who wrote Moonstruck and also was the writer and director, I believe, of Doubt, like the Academy Award winner. About oh, he, his, he adapted uh, Doubt? Child molestation and the priesthood. He wrote, oh, he wrote the, the play. play. Wow. Wow. He's, that's a weird yeah, he's a, he's a combo player. of things to have done. Yeah. But he made this, and it was a big flop, and so he didn't get to direct for a long time. And he wrote a bunch of movies, wrote Congo. And he oh, he wrote Congo? Directing. He directed Wild Mountain Time. He did write Congo, or adapted it, I guess. But he also directed and wrote, I believe directed and wrote Wild Mountain Time, which just came out. The Bumblebee you know movie? movie? Do you know what I'm talking about? The Bumblebee movie, right? It is indeed the movie where a man thinks he's a bumblebee and Emily Blunt wants to have sex with him, something like that. I mean, not because he's a bee. Yeah, I just saw that and I was like, are the straights okay? <laughs> like, are you all okay? Like, blink <laughs> I mean, if you need help. Spoilers for Wild Mountain Time, I guess. Um, just with Reckless Abandon, we're spoiling a movie that came out, I think, less than a year ago and that almost certainly neither of us. Probably will never see. Right. 
Uh, but yeah, anyway, we'll get back to the Joe vs. Volcano. I just, the set design is so good and it's, it's, it's this dystopian hellscape job and perfectly illustrates, I think it's the best on-screen depiction I've ever seen of what it's like to work in an office that sucks. Because yeah. I feel like so much office stuff now is this office like propaganda like shows like the office where like it's fun and your friends are all there and it's like a family and in reality it's like i mean maybe i'm just a curmudgeonly dick i think that is not how i would describe myself but i've made one actual real friend in my entire life at a a job where like i was friends with to the point where like i still am in touch with a person after i left i feel like that's a pretty rare thing i think so and yet we've all been like conned into believing like no this is a family yeah like i it's eating wegman's birthday cake once a month with people i tangentially know and lying about what i do on the weekends like that's that's what working is that's fine i'm not like yeah 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 i just i remember reading like part of the whole like oh people are working from home pandemic stuff and you know i'm not i know not everybody's in this position i you know speak from a very privileged spot to be able to do that but it's just like Oh, like what's gonna happen to office culture? I'm like, who gives a shit? Like, Again, how could anyone care? Wegman's about birthday that? cake once a month, like. But like, here's right, you know what's so right. great about working from home? Guess how many coworkers I have a problem with? None, because I don't <laughs> know them. Yeah, my old job yeah. definitely had those coworkers. Yeah. This new job, sure, new job. Yeah. I've been there a year. Good lord. Not a single problem with anybody because there's no one to be around to be annoying. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just a whole number of things, but also it's like, you know, I've had perfectly fine cubicle farm jobs and I've heard had ones that I hated. And this feeling that Joe, the the movie gets across walking into a job that you hate is just the most accurate depiction of this I've ever encountered. Just a bunch of sad, lifeless drones. I love that they're all wearing the same color. Like they're just drab. It's very Tim Burton. shuffling into the hive. It's very Tim Burton. I mean, costume designed by Colleen Atwood, so I get... But beyond the costuming, like, the whole beginning of this movie, I was like, this feels kind of Tim Burton-y. Which makes sense, because he was riding high at this point, so people were probably trying to emulate him. Yeah, and also it's like super it super sets the tone i think for what you're getting into with this movie is that it's like a weird ride we're about to go on we're not going on your typical like you know fancy love and is in the air rom-com sort of situation yeah like i said i do think it this could be more surreal with the overall i agree with that it it does lose it does lose some of that in the middle section for sure mm-hmm um, but I read an interview with the director where he was like, yeah, this came out and actually Julia Roberts auditioned for this, um, didn't get it, of course. And then she ends up doing Pretty Woman, which comes out like, I think only a couple months after this. And is just this runaway successful freight train of a rom-com. And it was just like, yeah, people wanted that, not this. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. So I wonder if, if, if Julia Roberts, like <clears throat> if when she was auditioning, the role was intended to be one actress playing all three parts precisely why she didn't get the part because the guy was like every time we put a different wig on her it was like yeah that's julia roberts and he thought that meg ryan was three distinct characters which honestly i did not know the first person was meg ryan the first time i watched this movie really yeah i think it's like the combination of the hair and the eye color being so dark it just like changes the shape of her face somehow but i had i really did not know and honestly even watching it now this time for like 
the second time in like two months, honestly, the reason we're doing this movie is because I had just watched it and was like, we should do that episode. Uh, I still, I, I still am like, eh, I mean, I know it's her, but it doesn't really look like her to me. Well, it's, it's the wig shape. It's, it's a very, you know, Winona Ryder-y, like Phyllis Diller shape hair. It's sort of like poofed and big and, you know. <laughs> I think Meg Ryan would have a bone to pick with you that you call her Phyllis Diller. Just, I did just, not call her Phyllis Diller. <laughs> I'm not a big uh, Meg Ryan fan as it is, but I even I'm like I don't know. Phyllis Diller's a few hundred notches below the hair. Phyllis Diller has iconic hair. Okay, and I'm not alone in that thought. I don't think. Um, but yeah, the 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 three Meg Ryan characters. The first one is sort of this like Janine in Ghostbusters meets Audrey from Little Shop by way of a temp agency. It feels like. Yeah, she's a little bit like mousy and a little bit meek. It's like each of these characters gets progressively more self-confidence, which is interesting. It's like Meg Ryan goes on a journey in this movie, but as three characters. And then the second Meg Ryan character, um, Angelica, is I I think it's Meg Ryan doing a weird Nicole Kidman impression. It's. They definitely made her look like Nicole Kidman. I don't if she thinks Nicole Kidman talks like this, I don't know what she's doing in terms of drugs and things, but <laughs> But like there was something about like the, the, the mouth shape and the way she No, but, for sure. It feels very Nicole Kidman. I I totally agree. But there was a celebrity this year, or maybe maybe I don't know if celebrity is the wrong word. Someone on Instagram, so I think celebrity, I would assume, was Angelica for Halloween this year. Because my boyfriend was scrolling from this movie. Yes. Okay. Was scrolling through Instagram and someone like posted a picture of themselves in clearly a costume. And the caption was like Angelica Hainaworth or whatever the name was. So we Googled it because we're like, who the hell is that? Like, is she supposed (laughs) to be somebody? And then it was, I was like, oh, of course it's from a movie I'm about to watch for the podcast. I wish I could remember who it was, but I've completely yeah, forgotten. Yeah, you're going to have to figure that out. Yeah. Uh, shout out to the person who uh, texted, or not texted, they did not text me, they did not have my number, <laughs> tweeted at the show uh, at Dissect the 80s to sh- share the somebody playing Takato and Fugue on the foot piano, because that ruled. That was yeah, very cool. Yeah, that was really cool. Um, and then the third Meg Ryan character is just Meg Ryan. Right. Like it was basically Very like charming. this is the one you're going to be for most of the movie, and she was like, "Great, no wig, no voice." Yeah, yeah, exactly. Although I have to imagine it's fun to get to play multiple characters. Oh yeah. So we'll backtrack a little just to the start of the movie and pick up from there. So you know, actually, you know who Meg Ryan looks like in the first her first character? She looks kind of like Helena Bonham Carter in Fight Club. Uh, I could see that. Like if you put a big if you put a big fur coat on her. Yeah, I can see what you're saying. I think I think this I I I really I I think Dee Dee is like the most attractive Meg Ryan has ever looked. Like I'm not into Meg Ryan's whole deal, so I'm yeah, like me this Dee Dee this Dee Dee Meg Ryan is really doing it for me, and I'm kind of like, nah, Helen Bonham Carter and Fight Club doesn't do it for me, but Dee Dee does. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know. It's like I mean, not that that matters, but I just yeah, I've I've never been into her whole vibe, and uh, which is people are gonna be like, what? But yeah, I, I just never never been into Meg. She Ryan. just oh, I I don't think we were ever her age. The, her like age demo of like people who that's find fair, Meg Ryan attractive. Like, that's fair, but like one, we watch like a lot of old movies, and two, um, I like romantic comedies like way more than the average person. Like I thoroughly enjoy rom coms. Yeah, I just, but I mean, like, like when you're version. when you were watching when we grew up watching, you've got mail and uh, Sleepless in Seattle, and also for me, One Fine Day, which is not a Meg Ryan movie. It's a Michelle <laughs> Pfeiffer, Ryan. George Clooney. Right. No, no vehicle. overlap betwixt the two, other than I guess they both take place in New York. Yeah. 
like w- we watch those movies, those are clearly like adults. It's not like oh, a young romantic comedy where like a a young twenty something who works in publishing finds love. It's like two adult people find love with each other. Sure, sure. But I'm saying is like as an adult man, like I could be like, oh, that's an attractive woman, and I just I've just never been into Meg Ryan's whole deal. So I don't know. I don't know that I it's agree. like the time time frame. Because like I can see a picture of an actress in a bad '90s or '80s outfit and be like, that woman is attractive to me. But Meg Ryan, I've never been into except as Dee Dee in this. I'm like, oh, <laughs> how you doing? Um. Anyway, uh, they, he's walking into work, and it's a medical supply company, and there's this huge McDonald's-esque sign for the number of rectal probes they've sold, which ticks over into another one as they walk by it, which is really great. And then they mm-hmm. also do petroleum jelly, and these this guy is like, I don't know what the technical term is, but I'm going to use gooshing the, the petroleum jelly. Into it looks like the beginning of Edward too. Scissorhands. Yeah, for sure. The for cookie sure. machine. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I'm sure this is how like liquids are piped into barrels at the industrial level. Like it's a big pipe and you know tube, and someone has to like spray it into yeah. the thing. That's that's logical, but it's very odd looking in this movie. Um, and then we we zoom into Tom Hanks into his office where Dan Hedaya is his boss, um, whose name I actually looked up how to pronounce, so I don't have to do the Hedaya Hedaya thing the entire time. No Hedaya, it's Cher's dad yeah. and Clueless. Yes, yes. Well, he's been on the sh- he's been on this show a few times, and I never remember how to say his name. So, um, he's marvelous as this shitty, shitty, shitty boss. He is. I, I. So the beginning of this movie feels like an absurdist play. Yes, and I don't say that to be like my theater degree, but like it's it's very clearly stylized and has a specific aesthetic. It's very repetitive and sort of nonsensical. And because yes. because Dan Hedaya is literally just screaming the same th- three lines over and over yep. again into a phone, and I was just like, "Is this is this hell? Like, is this all going to be hell? This feels like it's hell. <laughs> it's, it sure seems like hell." And honestly, I was like, "Yeah, that's what it feels like when you work a cube farm job that you hate. You just the lighting in this is amazing. Like everything is this sickly green pallor, which I just absolutely it looks love. like the saw bathroom. Yes, it really does. At my last cube farm job. There was, uh, like, I, I guess I drew the short straw, and there were we were in these pods of cubes that were, like, four people, and they're, like, the two on the left were open on the right side, the two on the right were open on the left side, so it was, yeah. like, a little pod of four, and the back two had a window, like, a very large window, and the fronts did not, and so somebody left the job leaving a window cube open, and I would just, I was, like, I'm not asking for permission, I'm just moving. I'm taking this, and I yeah. Just, yeah, I was like, I'm taking the window seat. And the person was like, what? And I was like, I'm taking the window seat. And they were like, um, okay. And I was like, there's no one else over here now. Like, I'm just, I'm going to take it. Like, I'm not asking. I'm just going to do it. I just started moving my stuff. And they were like, oh, did you, did you? And I was like, nope, I didn't ask anybody. I'm just taking it. <laughs> I was just like, I need to be near real sunlight. It is making me miserable. I'm not talking about this with anyone. Yeah. Uh, and it was fine. Like, nobody cared. But uh, yeah, I just... Got to have the real light. Important for my mental health. I don't know about everybody else, but I need mm. real light. Well, it reminded me of my friend's office in the Utilidors under Magic Kingdom because mm-hmm. he worked in like entertainment, like management. So he was like people like signing in and out with him, whatever. So he, but he was in the Utilidors. There's no windows because you're literally ugh, under ugh. the Magic Kingdom. Yeah. Um. So they had the um. I don't know if it's considered recess. It's like the the. The popped the push-up ceilings, and then every third one is like a light 
that's set in there. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And so they gave him a little cover on his light that looked like a castle window that with oh. like a sky behind it. So he was like, uh-huh. he was like, yeah, that's my sunlight for the day while I'm down here. Like, I hate it so much the vampire life. Yeah, but I mean, like, there's not really another op. Like, in a situation yeah, like that where no, you're I get literally yeah, working underground, yes. there yeah, aren't. I mean, op- the the option there is like you make sure that person does not work there five days a week, two hundred and whatever days a year. And, yeah, and, and and be miserable. Um, so Joe goes to his little office and he pulls out this little Hawaii lamp he has, which is a kind of like a ridiculous lamp, but in a, in a charming way. It's cute, and Dan Hadea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Hidea immediately starts in on this lamp. And I was having this just flashback. I'm sure I've told this story on the podcast before. Probably when we did 9 to 5 and they said you can't have novelty mugs. Yeah. There was this woman who worked at my old job who, like, had been there for 30 or more years. And she wasn't, like, a particularly high position in the company. It's not like – I think she was, like – an assistant to the director of the company or something like that. Like, and I'm not trying to shit on this woman's career. I'm just saying it was like, it wasn't like she was the CEO or she was like, you know, she just had had a lot of tenure. Yeah. Yeah. On the hierarchy of command, this woman did not have a lot of command, but she would do these laps and you'd see her come by and I'd be like, well, can't, can't wait to see what the memo on inappropriate decorating is going to come out. And they was like, they were very adamant. They were like, your cubes have a color there. You have a solid color wall. That's either orange, green, red, or blue. That is the area which you are allowed to decorate. You may not put things on the gray portion of the thing. And I was just like, I, I would love for them to come try to discipline me or fire me over putting a magnet up on a piece of metal. I just, I'm not going to listen to this. And I put my calendar up and like, I'm not like Johnny rebel. Like I'm a very no. person, <laughs> but I just was like, I'm, I'm not going to do that. Like I just, I'm, I'm almost, I'm at the time 30 years old. I'm just not going to be dictated where I can put something up with a magnet. I'm sorry. I just refuse that. That's not, that's dumb. Happen. My ma- yeah. when I had a cubicle job, my, my desk was covered in knickknacks. Right. And it's like anything I can do to make my time at this place I don't really like being a little bit brighter, I'm going to do. Um, and she would do these little laps and I, she would like clearly be looking around. And then we get these all staff memos of like the appropriate things to put and where you can put them. And I was just always like, yeah, I don't care. The people who are yeah. in charge of this don't care. You're just a busybody. But him, he comes in, he starts screaming at this lamp. And I was, I'm, every time I watch this scene, I'm like, oh my God, I, this is so real. This is so mm-hmm. real to me. It's like, why does this matter? Why do you care? It's irrelevant. It's also, the fact that his, it's not even like he's in a cubicle. He has his own office. Right, right. So it like, literally affects no one. Like, eat it. Eat a bag of farts, buddy. Like, <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Um, <laughs> the other thing that's that's really great here, Dan Hadea has like a special award, or it's not an award. I guess it's just a model. Is it's like a, a place where they are display a display thing? Yeah, a display of artificial testicles. And the interview I was reading with, uh, I think it's John Patrick Shanley. I hope that's right. It might be Joe Patrick Shanley, uh, the director and writer of this. He said it it comes from a time he actually had this job. He was like the advertising librarian oh, for weird. a medical supply company. And when he started the job, he opened a drawer of his desk and it was full of fake testicles. <laughs> like just th- the whole drawer was full. Just rolling around. Just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it wasn't like two or three. It was like, you know, 70 or whatever. And he was like, what is this? And they're like, oh, um, 
that's a line we had to discontinue. And he said, why did you discontinue though? And he said, the guy told him because they clacked together when people walked and it was loud and noticeable. <laughs> what? <laughs> so they're like, there are four people who have had to have them removed for some reason or another. And but like, like, why wouldn't you get something rubbery or like... I, for whatever reason, the, the material they use. They shouldn't went, be like, meditation balls. <laughs> exactly. That's all I could think of was those, like, they'd have a bell in them and they were like. Um, the cl- they kind of uh, a, a they don't, that's not quite probably. a bell, but there's something. They, they're the meditation balls. Yeah. And you would like roll them around in your hand. Uh, I, they were, they were a hot thing in the nineties for a bit. I know a lot of people, I had a lot of friends who had a set of those in their house. But yeah, he said that these poor, these poor people are walking down the street going, click, 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 click. Could you even imagine the nightmare? I just, it doesn't make sense why you would pick a, a clackable material right, in that instance. Right. I guess, like, I guess it wasn't clackable. Like it wasn't noticeably clackable or they didn't think it would be a big deal. And then once they were installed in humans, it was just click, clack, click, clack, click, clack. I feel like any amount of click, clack potential. I'd be like, no, like these totally agree. <laughs> we should start over. Yeah. Um, also, I think Tom Hanks has a dead nutria on his head uh, instead of a wig here. It's just like a large rat looking on. I kind of, li- I have to say, I kind of like this length on Hanks. The the length, not the haircut. Yeah, the, the length is good. Okay. I li- it's, okay. It's, it's not as weird looking as his, because um, didn't he have long hair in Da Vinci Code? I haven't seen that in like. 13 years he has really bad long hair in the da vinci code it's almost as bad as this i think but i like I think the length one of those guys who can't do long hair i don't know i liked the length on him oh i thought the wig i mean it, the wig itself is not good but the length i mean as someone who's trying to grow their hair out i like the length yeah i don't know he also had bad long hair as robert lane if you're out there and you think of a good long hair hanks performance I, his hair looks is fun crazy in castaway but that is not like a good haircut no 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 yeah so uh, there's also this great s- sequence where dd may ryan number one comes in and is like hey you got to send some catalogs to these people and he's like i can't do that i don't have enough catalogs and this is when dan hedaya comes in to yell at him about the lamp he starts yelling about him he's like why are there no catalogs and he's like well because you didn't order them well why not when did you tell me three weeks ago and then again two weeks ago and i was like oh my god it's yeah. me i've been there yep this is a real thing i've had happen to me it's like you won't let you me, me last week? be the ordering person <laughs> so i have to rely on you and if you don't do it this is why you email what? this is why everything you send is in an uh-huh. email so that you can, they, uh-huh. so that when they go, I never got that, you can go back and forward the same email and say, uh-huh. per my previous request. <laughs> yes, exactly. And then his great response being like, well, why didn't you tell me again last week if you told me three weeks ago and two weeks ago? And it's just like, oh, you son of a bitch. Like, Everything that's wrong oh, with corporate America. You bastard. Yeah. Although I will say, as as much of a bastard he is and how he represents everything wrong with corporate America, Dan Hedaya is not wrong that like after child edit, everything hurts <laughs> like everything's just gonna hurt once you once you're 20 I, yeah i mean i think it's a little joe's situation seems a little different than your average like oh i tweaked my back taking down the christmas decorations it's i sneeze too hard and my back hurts now like <laughs> so, so i got i got my booster shot and 
it, it, I woke up the next morning with this like right between my shoulders, like muscle cramp under the shoulder blade sort of thing. Like it, I thought it was a disc problem. It hurt so bad, but I was, you know, I was able to massage it out a little. Like I, I was like rubbing my you were Baloo. door frame I, for a little, I was just, it was like, is this a muscle thing? Yes. Okay. It is. Cause it woke me up in the middle of the night and I, uh, a couple of years ago, my girlfriend got me a massage chair. So I was like sitting in that and like, you know, uh, not like a crazy massage chair, like a thing you the, put on it. The chair. one that goes on yes. like a chair. Yeah, yeah. And so like that helped. But I was sitting on the couch that night and I was like, oh man, I got to sneeze. And I sneezed like real hard. And I literally thought I was going to cry. I was in the fetal position. It, it was like that. It was the sneeze muscle was the one that was distressed. Uh-huh. And it was just beyond excruciating. And I was just like, oh my God, I'm going to cry from a sneeze. Oh God! Yeah, this is my life now. You step too weird down the steps. Uh oh, your knees yep. hurt uh, for a yeah. week and a half. Yeah, but but I do sympathize with Tom Hanks. Is like you know I need to see see what's going on with me. Uh, so he goes, and the, the, that's the other thing is like I've never had this, and if you do, I have all the sympathy in the world for you. But I've never had a, a job where they were just like, no, you can't take that vacation day, or like, no, you can't go to the doctor or whatever. I know that happens to people. I luckily have not faced that. Yeah. Um, other than I guess like once or twice, I've had a situation of like, hey, there's like two other people out. Then can you move this? And when I was like, no, they were like, OK, I guess we'll deal with it. You know, like that, mm-hmm. that sort of situation. I've, I've had a little pushback, but never a no, luckily. Um, but I've just learned so that I always have to phrase everything as a question, not a not. A, it's not a statement. I am taking this time off. It's is it all right if I do this? And that's yeah, yeah. if I don't if I do it that way, it's always fine. Yeah. Uh, but I, it does, this scene leaves me to think like Hideo is going to be like, no, you can't go to the doctor, which I thought was going to be interesting. Um, but he goes to the doctor played by TV's Robert Stack, Mr. Unsolved Mysteries himself. Oh, okay. My boyfriend's more of a forensic files kind of guy, but. Ugh, trash show. Give me that bad 90s. Uh, Unsolved Mysteries used to genuinely scare the shit out of me. Yeah, it's got a creepy theme song. kid. But beyond the creepy theme song, so your average, I've, I watched a bunch of them this summer because uh, I went to Denver and there was a, a plaque at this place we went that they were like, oh, there's been Bigfoot sightings here. It was even featured on this episode of Unsolved Mysteries. I was like, well, I got to track this down. And so I was watching this episode. So this average, your average Unsolved Mysteries, I, I ended up watching a bunch. You got like missing on, person. Didn't, didn't Netflix release them a bunch? Like they, they got the rights to Netflix, a bunch? Netflix may have some of the old stuff. I think they're on a lot of streaming services. The new Netflix thing I don't care for because it screwed up the format and the it turned into just like every other crime show, which is just like an in-depth research on this person's murder. But like your average unsolved mysteries is like one murder, one missing person, and one just let's get buck wild with it. Was story. was Mothman ever featured on Unsolved Mysteries? Oh, I guarantee there's a Mothman because he's my favorite. There's like. There's UFO shit, there's that. But I remembered so vividly as a kid being terrified of the episode where they talked about spontaneous human combustion. Oh, yeah. And there was this, they do the reenactments, and the reenactment was this chair with a pair of old lady slippers and a burned out char in the shape of an old, of a, of, you know, this old lady who presumably burned to death in her chair. And it's like, it's a sad story. It's a woman who actually died. It was probably like a cigarette or any number of well, things. Like, at, uh, Buzzfeed Unsolved has talked about that before. And it's just, it's just very, it's a weird story what happened because there were newspapers in the room that weren't burned. Yes. There was yes. candles that were just wicks standing up because all the wax had melted, but the wicks yeah, didn't catch yeah. fire. And she, right. she had, it was one whole foot 
in a shoe, unburned. Yes. Like, yeah. I don't know what happened to that lady. Yeah, I, well, so I've done some research to figure out the actual solution, and it's kind of like a gross human anatomy thing, but like... You, if you want to Google it, it's yucky. I'll just tell It's you like that. human gases and stuff and human fat. Well, also, it's just like fat. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um, but that's what like uh, like like your your forensic files is like real shit. I want like spooky, weird nonsense mixed in with the real shit. So it's like this little girl was kidnapped from her parents home. Boom, 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 boom. And then it's like this man was shot to death in front of his house. Boom, boom, boom. Is Bigfoot terrorizing <laughs> Middleton, Colorado? Like that's the combination of flavors that I want. Yeah, I like, guess that's that's probably the chocolate, the, vanilla, pistachio, uh, <laughs> human pus. Like <laughs> just totally out of left field. I guess that's probably the best show for me and me and Jack because he like he loves BuzzFeed Unsolved true crime, and I love BuzzFeed Unsolved Supernatural, where they're like looking at mothman and bigfoot and trying to see if yeah, ghosts yeah, are real yeah. he's like yeah. no i want the true crime i'm like no fuck that i want i want ghosts <laughs> those, are, those are real people it makes me sad tell me about the time bigfoot threw pine cones at a park ranger yeah so uh robert stack diagnoses uh tom hanks with a brain cloud and he says the only reason we were able to figure this out is because you're such a hypochondriac and you insisted on all these tests. So this is a symptom-free disease that is going to kill you painlessly. But we you, we would have just dropped dead if you hadn't been such a hypochondriac. Which is kind of a cool idea. Yeah, I thought so. And it's also like you get a what really I think makes this movie so fun to me is you really get Tom Hanks getting to do all of the things. Right here he gets this like really sad it's not just sadness it's actual despair and he really he does a great job with it and then we like we leave the building and he's standing outside it and the camera pulls away in such a great way on this crane shot to make him look so small and sad and tiny and then he's like there's this huge great dane that comes walking by with a little old lady and he just gives this woman like a bear hug and you can tell she's completely freaked out by this (laughs) yeah i think it's all really good honestly if i could get this diagnosis the first thing i'm doing is like sweeping off Hidea's desk and then punching him in the face. <laughs> See, you can't do the punch because that's how you go to jail. But the, the desk you could probably get away with. Yeah, but if, if you punch him hard enough, he gets knocked out. You just leave. <laughs> but he still is going to be like, he punched me hard enough to knock me out. You think there's cameras in there to prove anything? No, but like, I don't know. I feel like he would make your life miserable. Have fun doing it for five months. I'm out. <laughs> Yeah, that's I'm not a person who got gets into scraps anyway. But I I had a coworker once like asking me like I I was incredulous that she knew someone who was getting into fights like at our age in our late twenties, and I was she was just like, well, what if someone said something to your girlfriend? I'm like, I don't know, we'd probably leave. Like, it's too much, too complicated to get into a fight now. Like, it's like a police get involved. Like, I'd have to really be in danger. (laughs) Like, like actual danger. Like fight or flight. A a snappy, a snappy one liner, and then out the door. I don't even think I want to do the one-liner because then that invites them to punch you in the back of the head. I'm just like, I, I concede you can have this. I don't, this is not that important to me. So he has this big epiphany of like, I sold you my soul for $300 a week. And it's just such great manic Tom Hanks business. It's a really great telling off sequence. Yeah, yeah. The 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 part where he like he kind of rambles and rants, he gives the lamp to Dee Dee, he goes to leave, and Hidea kind of tells him off, and he's like, I should say something. And there's this like long beat where you can tell he's really trying to formulate the thing to say is really mm-hmm. good. Well, and it's a great situation because Hidea tries to be like 
you can't talk to me like I don't remember he says something to the effect of like what are you trying to talk to me like that or you can't talk to me like that I'm like yeah, yeah. but his voice is like starting to quiver and waver and mm-hmm. I'm like yeah mm-hmm. you piece of shit the second someone <laughs> actually stands up to you you're you're garbage you're mud you're, you're every, nothing you're ev- you're every bully that ever existed and mm-hmm. I also love Hidea has huge dandruff in this scene and you can see is it. that what it was yeah yeah I thought it was like asbestos or like something from i guess it could be i was it like does, did something it, it get cut where like the ceiling the, fell on something, or something yeah like some kind of ceiling moment yeah i guess it could be that they don't it, i thought it was just big dandruff so he invites Dee Dee to dinner as part of this big you know telling everybody off and she's like oh my god you're so alive it's amazing it's kind of weird that how many times hanks and ryan have played opposite each other romantically uh-huh like is this a this record is the first time I, I'm no, trying to think of how many the, others have been like, it's just like, these two actors again. Tracy Hepburn has to be like at least this many, right? If not more, Spencer Tracy. Oh, yeah. I forget about old Hollywood where yeah, there were like, like six they, actors. Yeah, exactly. They were just like, it's another Spencer Tracy picture. And six months later, it's another Spencer Tracy picture. You know, I, I yeah. don't know the answer, but I, I would have to think of the modern era. These two are up there, at least in the conversation, because it's. It's definitely three movies. Yeah, it's it's if Seattle. Not. It's Seattle. Male in this, a minimum. Right. There could be another one that sneaks in there that I don't know about, but that's the three I know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to. I can't think of any other big pairings like that from that era. I'm sure someone's going to chime in and tell us, which is fine. But that's that's the ones. I think uh, uh, Richard Gere and Julie Roberts have at least two. What's their second one? Runaway Bride for sure is those two. Oh yeah, Runaway Bride. So there may be another one. I this forgot is, about this that. This is the podcast where, where we reveal our insanely in-depth rom-com knowledge and people are like, whoa, are you going to start another podcast about this? <laughs> Maybe. Um, one fine pod. <laughs> it's just a minute by minute breakdown of one fine day. Yes. A movie that nobody knows about. And I bring nobody it up. Nobody knows about. And people are like, I, What? I've seen it more than once, and I get it confused with Serendipity, which is a terrible movie. Ugh, Serendipity. Vomit. <laughs> but we also watched that one quite a bit. Uh, just give him your number, you weirdo. <laughs> that's, that's, that one is like... God damn it, Beckinsale. Beyond the pale for like ridiculous setup. We were just like, all right, you don't like each other if you won't trade contact information. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, back at Joe's apartment, the great Lloyd Bridges shows up, really chewing the scenery here. I thought we were going to, I thought this was going to be a magic situation. Oh, okay. I, I thought it was like an angel or a magic man. Sure, sure, sure. The way he's like, I know everything about you. And he's like breaking his apartment walls with his cane. I was like, <laughs> yes, oh, yes. this is Harry Dean Stanton, but not, but sober. I, I also love, he pulls out a whole can of peanuts opens them and he does this thing where he like pops the plastic seal pops the metal seal holds it with one hand and does like a quick flip over to invert the whole can into the bowl on joe's table and then lifts it away like dramatically with a big flourish i kind of want to do that now i know it looks so fun yeah i fully thought he was he was gonna be magic of some kind oh for sure it's well it's the hat he's wearing is a magic hat it is he has he has full on like I'm a magical character hat. Uh, also, speaking of uh, Home Alone two, Lloyd Bridges, right? Is isn't he Turtle Dove guy or I, is that is that completely wrong? No, he's not Turtle Dove guy. He's, he's not, not Turtle Dove guy. No, no, never mind, never mind. The ghost isn't that a ghost in the end? Don't we find out that it's a ghost in that movie? 
No, it is not a ghost in Home Alone. I thought the end was that like... He winks. No, he winks at the kid later, but he's not a ghost. I thought there was a a scene where they panned to like a portrait that was like our dead founder and it was the man who gave him the turtle doves. Am I making that up? That scene happens, but he's not dead. He's just the owner of the toy. There's like a bit where he's like, Kevin McAllister goes in there and the old man is like, ah, you could have these turtle doves. And he's like, oh, I I can't afford it. He's like, I I think I can put in a good word. He can't afford it. he, he, well, no, it's because he donates yes. money. That's what it is. Yes, that's yeah. He does, and so he's like, he's like, well, I'll put in a good word for you with the owner, and then we see that he is the owner of the store. Oh, uh, my brain always thinks it's ghost. Like <laughs> he's not a ghost. That's my so brain funny, filled though. in the gaps with ghost. <laughs> when in doubt, oh, go spooky. Delightful. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, also, I think Home Alone, and therefore all of the movies are eligible for the podcast. So. Including the one that Disney is coming out with this year. Uh, and it's written by like three people I really like. Streeter is one of the writers on it. It looks, I, I saw the, the, like the I know, op- but Streeter from opening Kong of the Humor trailer and the- I was like, oh, this seems stupid. And then I saw all the cars pull away and he, I was like, oh, are you kidding me? Are they making Home Alone? And they're making a <laughs> sixth Home Alone movie. Yeah, or a seventh maybe. A, is- this is a reboot, yeah. The only Home Alone I want to see is old man Macaulay Culkin fighting off old man, old, old man Joe Pesci and old, old, old man, man Daniel Stern. Yeah. They're like, we have to get revenge on this fucking kid and we're going to kill him. That's the movie I want to see. I want to see, I hate gritty reboots, but I want to see the gritty R-rated Home Alone where Kevin McAllister's like, I have to protect my family. No, here's what it is. Kevin is visiting his grandmother at an old folks home. And the two bandits are checking in to rob the place. And then Kevin has to protect all the old people in the old folks home. (laughs) I would watch that as well. But I really, I want it to be paranoid Kevin McAllister has like RFID chipped his children. because I'll never leave them alone. I'll always know where they are. Wasn't there a a gritty Home Alone style movie with uh, Kevin James as as a Nazi? It's Home Alone-ish, yeah, yeah. It's not quite full Home Alone, but it's Home Alone-ish. It's got, it's I wanted got, like, to see it. I just haven't. It. Yeah, it's fine. It's not, it's not great. It's called Becky. Thank you. Anyway, back on task here with our pal Lloyd Bridges. Um, he regales Joe with all these tales of how he used to be a firefighter, and it's really interesting to me that Joe went from firefighter to office drone. Like you'd think he could have gotten a job with a fire department that perhaps was less dangerous. Yeah, like, I'm sure they need a comptroller or something. I don't know what that job is, but I'm sure a fire department needs a comptroller. I, I don't think they need a comptroller. <laughs> Isn't it just like a money that's person? Like a, that's like a municipal job. Like, a, a city has a comptroller. No, businesses have comptrollers. Well, it's an elected official position for sure in many municipalities. Oh, well, because I, I used to work many moons ago. I was the um, admin for a financial placement team, and one of the jobs that they looked for in place was comptrollers. I, I think. See. I mean, it's been like eight years since I had that. Yeah, job. you're 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 right. This is this is just I've never seen it not on a municipality level, but it is just an accounting position that's at a lot of places. I don't know. I truly don't know what it does. I should have. Rem- I've- it's an accounting and finance position. It's like a, a high-level accounting finance. Yeah, but I the, the number of resumes I edited, I should have gleaned a little bit of information from them. Yeah, you would think. Um, so Lloyd Bridges is like, okay, so here's the deal. I got this island. There's a tribe that lives on it. Every 100 years, they have to have someone from the tribe jump into the volcano. The reason why this is important to me is because they have this special metal 
called Boob. They have unobtainium. Place you can get it. Yes, uh, I have to get it from them. So you're about to die. Let me pay you all. Let me give you an all expense paid trip, lap of luxury, and then you go jump in the volcano and solve my problem for me. Which, like, honestly, seems like a fair offer. Yeah, I mean, die, again, like, the idea is inherently racist. That like savage native people, you know, volcano sacrifice. Obviously, yeah. that is a a r- racist white people idea. Sure. But it's a cool concept. I have to say, that's a really cool idea. And I also think, like, you're not wrong. Like, the the, the, the general depiction of the tribe is not great. However, White people in tan face. However, I, well, not all of them, just the two people who talk. <laughs> and the three, I think there's a third. Okay. But I will say, to me, this tribe is essentially Oompa Loompas. Like, it's a complete gibberish nonsense thing. It is. I, I like that they didn't try and use a real tribe. That was nice. Right. Right. It was like, we made up the Wapani Woo. It's a. It's like, very clearly we're doing, like, silly language things. And the story of them is that they were a group of Jewish and... Druids. Was it Jewish? They were Druish and Jewish. Okay. Who... Like, tried to do this sailing adventure, got lost, ended up stuck on the island, and decided not to leave. And then, inexplicably, this this tribe has a deep affinity for orange soda. They just, like, can't get enough. Yeah. It's a bunch of Kells over there, Kel Mitchells. You know, they can't love their orange soda. And so it's like, I totally see what you're saying. And, like, obviously, I think if this movie was any more popular, that would get some heat for it. But they're basically like Oompa Loompas to me in terms of, it's just nonsense. Yeah, it's no, it's, just it's totally fully fake. made up nonsense, and I get that. Yeah. But like, when you look at it, it's just sort of like, okay, not great. If it was five degrees more ridiculous, it would be fine, I think, is the problem. Yeah. Like, it, it's it's not quite ridiculous enough. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it needed a bit of a Mel Brooksiness because they're they're Jewish, so they they chant, like, Hava Nagila is something they chant, yes, which they is do. funny. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, like, I needed, like, I don't know, give me, like, a grass skirt with, like, the those the two front curls that, like, Hasidic yes, yes. Jewish men have. Like, sure, sure. give me, like, an element of silliness yeah, to a, it. Yeah, a little shows... sillier would be good, yes. I totally agree. So he's like, live like a king, die like a man. Uh, and then he like floats out of the movie. Lloyd Bridges comes in for the one yeah. scene, and then he the, gives the him Uber eight credit cards, and it's just like, yes. and bye, and he throws a flash yeah. bomb. <laughs> uh, hey, buddy, where you got to go? Not in this movie anymore. <laughs> he gets it. He also kind of looks a little tiny bit with the hat to me, like a Burgess Meredith penguin. I can see that. I can totally see like, that. Not not fully, but in in the vibes anyway. It feels like <laughs> it feels a bit like. Fred Gwynn playing John Hammond is the yeah, energy yeah, I get I from him. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I love Lloyd Bridges getting to come in to do a small part and bring some manic energy. I always love that. You know, Seinfeld, his Mandelbaum, Izzy Mandelbaum. Oh, he's the Mandelbaum. I love Izzy Mandelbaum. Yeah. So I just, I, I love Lloyd Bridges getting to come in for, like, swing in, do one bit and get out. That's that's a perfect amount. Yeah. So he hires a cab driver, uh, sorry, a limo driver, played by Ossie Davis, great actor, great in this part. Again, I wish they had a little more to do. Yeah, yeah. He gets he gets only a small piece, and, and he gets out of the movie. But I do think it's, as far as the like story of this character goes, we're really having a journey with Joe of self-realization and like fulfillment, which I, I like that narrative in this movie, I think, is done really, really well. And so he starts, you know, 
asking Ozzy Davis all these questions and Ozzy Davis pulls the, this, I love the scene here of like, you think he's going to be sort of like the magic black person stereotype of just like, yeah. Oh, he's going to come in and tell him all this stuff. And instead Ozzy Davis is like, hold on, I'm, I'm going to come back there. And he pulls the, the car over and he gets in the back seat and he's like, let me tell you something. It took me a long time to figure out who I am and I'm tired. I don't have time to figure out who you are. So you're going to have to do that on your own. I can answer some questions, but I am not going to do this. I can drive you to stores, but from there, you have to figure some things out, buddy. And it's so interesting to see, like, these high-end stores that just don't look exciting from the outside in 1990. Because today, it's a lot of, like, clean glass and concrete, and it's a nice big logo up top with the... the the company name, and this just looks like a dirty building with Giorgio Armani on it. I don't know. There's less exterior branding for sure as part of it. I, I kind of like this. I mean, it's no Rodeo Drive, I guess. No, no. I mean, it's also New York, which is less flashy in general in its luxury stores. So they make fast friends. You know, he keeps asking them questions, and Ozzy Davis is being really helpful. And then they're getting fitted for a tuxedo, and Hanks is like, let me buy this tuxedo for you. And he's like, no, I don't need a tuxedo. And I kind of wanted to be like, yeah, he doesn't, probably doesn't. No one needs a tuxedo. But no. he was like, he was like, all right, I'll, I'll, all right, sure. You can buy me a tuxedo. He's like, I'm there. He's like, you're only getting paid to drive. You're doing a lot more than driving. Let me compensate you, which I thought was nice. Yeah. Yeah. The whole like signed- own a tuxedo thing. I'm like, in what world do you right. go to an ev- tuxedo events enough that you don't you can't just rent one for like a hundred bucks? You get like the, the high end hundred dollar tuxedo rental. Because I dated someone who went to a different high school and I knew I was going to go to two junior proms, I bought a tuxedo for one hundred and ten dollars instead of renting one for one hundred dollars twice. That is, oh yeah, I, did, I do. So I do own a tuxedo, but it is a one hundred dollar tuxedo, so it is not exactly a luxurious item. No, um, he gets a haircut from Carol Kane, who is not credited as herself, and she I just like, like why? What she should? Because yeah. I I saw her, I was like, ooh, we're gonna get some Carol Kane in this movie now, and yeah, she's like, nope. She got a day rate. Good lord. I don't think she even got a day rate. They got her in and out and before breakfast was finished being served. She has one line. Like they turn him around and she's like, "You look gorgeous." And then that's it. Yeah, and she's even in a weird wig. Like Carol Kane has big curly hair. That's like what she's known for. And they put her in right, this right. like Prince Valiant wig. Yeah, it's very very odd choice. I really love he goes to buy luggage and the luggage salesman is a, a character that came straight from the pages of Better Off Dead. Yes. Also, just, like, I really odd. love trunk style luggage. I just I fucking love old vintage looking <laughs> trunk style luggage. It looks super cool, but I will take my wheelie bags 99 times out of 99. Thank you so much for, for the offer. Well, these these roll the one that he will he he wheels it out. They look unwieldy to roll, but yes. Mm. <laughs> so this is the part where he tries to get Ozzy Davis to go to dinner with him. And he's like, no, I, you know, I got a wife and kids. I got to get home. And Hanks is like, yeah, you know, there are some doors you got to walk through alone. And it's I, I really like there's like a sequence here starting with this Ozzy Davis conversation. See, I thought he was like, going to say, bring your wife and kids. And we were going to get a Tom Hanks oh, sees a happy family moment. Yeah. Yeah. That, that would have been interesting. Like making him feel sadder that about this than he does. I could, I could see that they, we do play with that a little bit in the next sequence on the beach by himself. So I guess, yeah, 
I guess they wanted to hit that without being too, too sad. So he he has dinner alone, and it's it's melancholy without being brutal, but it is clearly he's he. It's like it's no really it's anybody. no that hotel scene in Big. I will say no, that. Thank definitely not. No, no, no. Yeah, I, and that would be the wrong tone for this movie. I think. I mean, arguably, it was the wrong tone for Big, but I'm not going to say that I too mean, loudly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, see, last week's episode, two weeks ago's episode. Uh, so here's Meg Ryan number two, the flubberty jabat. Also, uh, uh, Hammaker Schlemmer has been a thing for this long, and it's always been garbage nonsense, apparently. Yes, which is oh, lovely. yeah, 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 yes. So, sorry, we, we should mention, during the shopping spree, this is, like, the check obvious sequence, I think, of any movie we've ever covered, because literally every single thing he purchases is useful later, literally in keeping himself sane and Meg Ryan alive. I mean, I don't know, the, the golf thing is useful. He keeps him from going nuts. He's, like, losing his mind out there. I guess. You need to be entertained when you're adrift at sea alone with a semi-conscious woman. Fair. I, we'll get into Meg Ryan's weird coma. We'll get into it. <laughs> uh, so he he goes to dinner with Meg Ryan number two. Uh, what did you say her name was? Angelica. Angelica. And they have a big old feast on the table. There's like a dungeness crab. I re- The one thing that really bu- disappointed me was she picks up the mallet and she's like, these little creatures are so weird, but they're delicious inside. And he goes, she goes, you see her pick up the hammer. Like she's going to just like really bring the weight of Thor's might down. <laughs> yeah. This dungeness crab. And then we hear the sound, but like, I need Tom Hanks getting hit with Crabnell here. Like, there's Crabnell all over this yeah. man and all of the surrounding To diners. prepare for his work in Castaway. Exactly. I need I need bits of crab shell everywhere. Also, I like that your Angelica is is mostly military bullets. <laughs> That's what she sounds like, though. It's not quite military bullets. She's a... Uh, in my so- head, I, I've got to be honest with you, in my head, I was like... I, I kind of practiced it a little bit when I was taking my walk. I was like, <laughs> I was like, I think I got another voice down, and I like, I think Andrew's gonna be impressed with this one. So I'm a little bit like, oh no, I guess I don't have it. But in my head, I don't think it it's bad, but it's a little, it's a little too military bullets. <laughs> you know how you know how your voice sounds different in your own head than uh, other people perceive it. Yeah, because your ears. Right. So like in this instance, I, I in my head, I sound exactly like Meg Ryan in the movie. Like, it's not like I'm like, oh, I'm close. I'm like, oh, my God, I could do voiceover. <laughs> you could do ADR. I could. I could ADR Angelica's lines. So they they like have this. There's this great fade where she says, oh, I drew that painting. And it's uh, uh, oh, man, I just lost the name of the guy. It's very much in the style of, of somebody else. My, my brain's now wanting to say Rothko. I think that's wrong. But it's very much like a comic first bookie. person style. Yeah, comic bookie. And um, there's this awesome fade where they you see this painting of a car overlooking Los Angeles and all the lights below. And we fade and push into the painting. And then it's them in see, the same car overlooking. It, was, it wasn't a perfect trend. Like, it wasn't a perfect one-to-one. So I didn't I, right. I didn't get why they didn't just like film it first and then take the first like image of it and be like hand it to an artist and be like trace this like make it look exactly like this. Yeah, I guess. But so. that's just me. I also really loved her line because she asks like and what do you do for work? And he's says he was a what, an ad librarian for a medical company. Right, right. And she goes, "Oh, 
I have no response to that. And I was just like, the number of times. Yours, yours feels a little Jimmy Stewarty. That's like, you, you've a little got Jimmy, Jimmy Stewart. Stewart. You've got the Jimmy Stewart. Like, oh, Clarence, you're, you're an angel. I, I have no response to that. <laughs> no. Like, Your Jimmy Stewart dial is a little too high. And my military bullets dial is a little too high. But I just got to, I got to put it back a little on you. It's a, it's a little Jimmy Stewarty. But, like, the number of times I've been in, like, a boring function and someone said, like, I have no response to that, but I, I we need to continue this conversation because that's what people do in this situation. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. The fact that she uses that just to stop it dead and not talk anymore, I think, is really funny. So they have breakfast together, and this part's really odd to me. Like, he has this sort of melancholy night alone on the beach, and, you know, he's very clearly kind of sad about what his life's in, and... She wanted to, she kind of offered to have sex with him. And he was like, nah, I'm good. Like, clearly there's some stuff. It's a great on. weirdo performance from Meg Ryan. Oh, for sure. I think, I think her, I think all three of her performances in this are very good. And I, like I said, I'm not a big fan of hers. And I, I think this is probably my favorite Meg Ryan thing I've ever watched. Even like the plain Jane, like I'm Meg Ryan, you're Tom Hanks, we're going to fall in love part in part three is much more fun to me. It's honestly, like bordering on Goldie Hawn in uh, Overboard or something where it's like legitimately fun and you believe yeah. that they're falling for each other because they just have a lot of fun together. I can see that. Uh, but anyway, the breakfast scene is very odd. <laughs> she like invites him to breakfast and they're talking and then suddenly she's like, oh, no, we have to leave and like grabs him. and They just run out of breakfast. And I was just like, why There's is this scene in the movie in a bird sanctuary yeah. for some reason? <laughs> yes. There's a like, very there's loud eight bird cages of parrots. Yes. Yes. Loud ones too. Like from a movie making standpoint, what a nightmare. Yeah. So they go to the yacht that's gonna also I don't understand he uh Lloyd Bridges is like, I'm gonna fly you to LA and then get you on a uh my yacht and take you there by boat because my competitors watch the airport. And I'm like, but who he's not he doesn't work for you, so like why would anybody think that he's related to this? Right. It makes absolutely no sense. And also, why would they care? Right. Like, how could your competitors beat you to this element? Presumably, you're the only one who knows how to use it to manufacture. They go to the yacht. And it feels, when he said yacht, I was picturing like a a tall thing, like a big tall thing. And yeah. it's a, it's a, it's, it feels more like something you'd put in a regatta. Like you'd race in the 4th of July regatta. I think you've been poisoned by the area you live in where, like, in 1990, this was a yacht, and now a yacht is the disgusting, floating, horizontal building you're describing. Now this fits in a yacht. Like, yeah, uh, this, this, is, this is in the pool on the yacht. This is, this is the thing that hangs off the back of a modern yacht so that they can make shallow water landings. <laughs> yes, exactly. Because, like, now they're, they're miniature cruise ships. Yeah, that's what, that, that's what I was picturing. Like... Right. The the Bravo Below Deck series or whatever. Seeing the panels. On, like On Peacock? Yeah, Peacock really thinks I want to watch that show. And I was like, the things that I have watched on your service are professional wrestling, Yellowstone with Kevin Costner, uh, more Parks professional wrestling, never Parks and Rec, and Halloween Kills. What of those four things makes you think I want to watch a reality show about a boat? Yeah, so that's one of those things that it, it actually, like, it's like how Netflix tricks people into watching things. I mean, like, hey, everyone else in America is watching this. And I'm like, yeah, no, yeah, because yeah. you don't release your numbers. So you're lying right, to right. me. All you're doing is lying. Yeah. 
so they have a nice dinner the first night on the boat. It's it's you know uh, catered by the the chef on the boat, and they have a nice heart to heart. And she talks a little bit about her daddy issues, and that she says she, that she's soul sick. Um, he calls her out for being mean to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She keeps calling him the wrong name, and he gets it's, really indignant about that. It's just I, I didn't like that moment in the beginning because she keeps calling him Felix when they first yeah. meet. And he's like, that's not my name. And she's like, he's like, why are you calling me the wrong name? And she's like, because I do what I want when I want. And I'm like, right. But like, why feel like, feel it. Like you right. should be like, I'm calling you, I don't know, Wilbur, because you're a rat. Like, I don't like, give me something. Or how about <laughs> he's wearing this silly Panama Jack hat. Just call him Jack and be like, well, it's your dumb hat. You shouldn't have worn that. And then the scene, like two scenes later where he throws the hat off the back of the boat, by the way, littering uh, yeah. it like, then it would be like, Oh, like I, he is like, I don't want to be identified by this dumb choice I made. So I'm getting rid of it. Like that would be something. Yeah. I was like, is it, I was like Felix, the cat, like the cartoon, right. like it doesn't why? make any sense whatsoever. Yeah. But so they, they, uh, she goes to put him, like tuck him into bed basically. And they're standing in this like very awkwardly small space. He's tucked, he's like all tucked in, nestled under the covers, which I think is very adorable. And mm-hmm. she's like, oh, uh, you know, you want me to turn the lights off? And she turns the lights off and it turns into this like sort of almost romance moment. And then it's like, well, bye. <laughs> she well, she also has room. a nice character development moment here where she, kind of opens up that like i was mean to you on the dock because you work for my father and basically i told myself i would never work for my father but he knew i wanted this boat and he knew i had a price he figured out my price before i did and i, I hate that i have that i that i learned i have a price that i'm willing to like go back on my morals for and i was like oh i like this little character development moment and there's also the part in the same conversation where she's like, did you sleep with my sister? And he's like, no. And she's like, good, because if you did that, I would have thought you were a real creep. And it's like, yeah, he would have been a real creep if he took advantage of her. Like, she clearly was having some shit going on. Yeah. So they decide to go fishing the next day off the back and of the she, boat. She absolutely kicks Tom Hanks's ass at fishing. It feels like a mini game in a video game where they're like, <laughs> you need to catch 13 points worth of fish. And uh-huh. like she because it's not all the same fish. It's like a big Three rock fish, fish or like a uh-huh. spot. One of those spiny looking ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's crazy. And leading to there's like some fun business, bit of business with the other person on the boat. Her name is Dagmar. Tom keeps like looking over. She's Miss she's like, Dawson from the movie. Get a clue from Disney Channel. Oh, OK. Uh, but he's like, you know, he's looking at Dagmar for assistance and Dagmar's just like shrugging at him. Like, I don't know. She's a good fisherman. What do you want from me? Uh, Mm -hmm. but it leads to finally Tom Hanks gets one on and everybody's helping him. He's doing some great physical comedy with like the rod almost going over the side. He's basically silent film acting. Oh, for sure. He is. It's very, very big and broad, but I enjoyed it. And it culminates with he finally reels it in. And it is the funniest hammerhead shark puppet that you could possibly imagine. It basically has googly eyes. <laughs> it looks like the the shark version of um, what's that dog puppet with the cigar? <laughs> Triumph the insult comic dog. Yeah, it looks like. Yeah, the, it is. The shark version of that, where it's just like... It totally does. It's not supposed to be real. It's supposed to look like a, a latex face. Right, right. Oh, there's also a good sequence where uh, Dagmar looks over at him, and Tom has done like a full cat's cradle with the fishing line in his hand. I don't know. If oh, yeah. That. So now it turns into the perfect storm slash Poseidon adventure. 
Well, first they have another heart-to-heart at dinner, this time with candles. So it's a little bit more romantic. Oh, I missed this one. And then the big storm is brewing. It, or, or it becomes the opening scene from Little Mermaid. <laughs> that is the true. The boat goes that down. That's true. No, it does. Uh, yeah, that's so he. Th- yeah, so they have the big heart to heart, and that's when he tells her the secret, and she kind of like is like, "Whoa, I don't like, I don't even know what to do with that. Like, that's a crazy thing you just told me." And then the storm is the next day. Oh, okay. I just got my notes mixed up. Yeah, uh, I love how. By the way, speaking of this storm, they almost never show this boat on the water. Like the actors, they have they they shoot all the actors on a boat, not anywhere near water, very clearly. Like it's, it's yeah. very much on a on a on a. Studio They're throwing buckets like a, up at them. Uh huh. Uh-huh. And then they go to the miniature, and it's like a fun miniature, but it's definitely a miniature, and it's like the water looks that. too big. Yeah, people forget like, about that. Like water doesn't scale. Yes. Yeah, exactly. It's like you have a you, you cannot make waves in a bathtub with this miniature boat and have the, the size look right because the waves that are hitting this boat are like bigger than the perfect storm, essentially. <laughs> yes. They did the same thing in the original Dracula, which I watched like half of the other day. Uh, but I was just like, look how big the waves are because yeah, people forget yeah. that water doesn't scale like that. Right, right. So she gets it. Meg Ryan gets into her Gordon's Fisherman cosplay. Yeah, they all have that on. It's very weird. I'm like, I I don't think that is a standard issue with boats. Like, it's all the no, yellow no, rubber so. slicker. Yeah, they're either Gordon's fishermen or they're about to, like, haunt the old fishery. And yes, and, the, exactly. and the mystery gang is going to roll into town and, and pull their wig <laughs> or, off. Or they're going to chase down some teens who murdered, so thought they murdered a guy. <laughs> yes, he's <laughs> Dawson. <laughs> Jennifer Love Hewitt is like running around screaming, I, "I'm right here! What are you Come and get me!" For? Yes, exactly. Which, again, I highly recommend people do that more often. Throw your head to the sky, <laughs> spin in a circle, and ask, "What are you waiting for?" It's very therapeutic. <laughs> ben Wilson, not Dawson. Yes, 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 yes. Um, so there's a big kiss, and then <laughs> the boom uh, or the jib. One of the sa- one of the boat terms. The one of the mast parts. Uh, I think it's called the jib. Uh, comes and knocks Meg Ryan clean off the no, boat. No, no, no. It in knocks here. a dummy into the water. <laughs> okay, fair. It knocks a dummy It is a beautiful water. dummy. We used to, way back in the day, we had a, a big dummy appreciation corner on this podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a beautiful, it, it looks like That's So Raven or like d- any other <laughs> Disney Channel show where there's like, and toss a dummy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no bones. So he goes over, uh, you know, helps her out, and then his trunks pop up, and their big selling point of them earlier is that they are watertight, so he's able to, like, lash them together and make a raft, and they're floating on top of the trunks. Uh, all the other people on the boat died, by the way. Yeah, just, it's, you don't even necessarily, like, you see big lightning hit the boat, which also, apparently, according to the internet, the shape of the lightning that hits the boat is the same as the symbol of the office earlier in the movie, although I didn't, oh. I've never clocked that. Um, but yeah, it like, it sinks very quickly and you're like, oh, I guess they're all dead, but it's very weird that there's not, there's no, it's like later on when she wakes up from her coma, he's, she's like, what about Dagmar and the boys? He's like, nah, they're dead. And then she's like, oh, okay. And they've been dead for weeks because you're in a coma. Yeah. She immediately moves on from it. It's crazy. So yeah, Meg Ryan gets knocked out and he's made his giant raft. And then. Because these these trunks are enormous. They're like. What, two foot, three foot by four foot? Something like that? I would say it's easily three by four. Yeah, yeah. And he pulls out his violin bar, his violin case bar. I like that one. 
it's a cool thing. It's a cool little gadget. And he starts like doling out capfuls of Perrier to Meg Ryan and like not taking any for himself so that she can have all the water. But like if you she is in a coma. Yeah. If you die on this boat, <laughs> you both die. She has no chance of surviving. <laughs> a wave knocks her into the water. Oh, dead forever. Like <laughs> that's true. That's true. You know, you can maybe like take half the water she does. I don't know, but yeah, yeah. Uh, so this is where we get uh, precast away. Yeah, he he does all this stuff on his own, which is kind of great. Uh, get He's some like, real white dad break. at a wedding dancing at some point. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, with his magic radio that they, like, earlier in the movie, the line is specifically that it's, like, this special open band radio that can work anywhere in the world, essentially. Yeah. So it's just, like, the purchase, the, the things he purchased montage. He's putting, um, you know, going a little bit nuts at sea. And then there's a cool, like, sequence where he sees constellations. Yeah, it sort of turns into this, like, George Millier si- uh, silent film for yeah, a brief yeah, period. Yeah. It does, yes. And I, I thought this was going to lead to, like, a little bit more epiphany, like the constellations are going to tell him which way he needs to go or something, which I guess doesn't make sense because he's adrift. But just something, of, like, it seemed so, like, it was so cool and well done. I was like, oh, this must lead to something. And it doesn't. It just passes in, like, a moment. He rubs his eyes and that's it. Yeah, and then, like, the giant moon rises and it's just... Uh, it's weird. It's a little weird. Again, the movie needs more surrealism. If you're gonna, if you're gonna do it, do it. Yeah. Although the moonrise is like he has a like a, a religious experience. Basically, he sees the moon rise up and is like, I I forgot about how great the world was. Thank you for showing me again. You know, it's like this little prayer that he sends out. So Meg Ryan wakes up and starts feeding him water. Yeah, because he's he's got the full on madness. He's got like the you know the sunburn on the face and all that at that point. The gross lips. Yeah, the gross lips. Very well done for both of them. Gross lips, by the way. No, her lips are fine. Well, she, when she's unconscious, she has gross lips. No, that, she never. She because he kept her hydrated. She never got gross lips. I thought she had gross lips where he was pouring them in while she was like on her back, and then he puts the umbrella over her face. Maybe I'm misremembering. I don't remember there being her with grossness. Um. So then they are they get to the island. Uh, I keep wanting to say Wamapoke, but that's the Native <laughs> no, American that's, tribe that's, from Parks and Rec. Right, the Wapani Wu. That's what it is, and uh, it's a tactful and respectful interpretation and display of uh, <laughs> depiction of uh, Native Polynesian people. I mean, Nathan Lane is basically doing uh, Timon. I it, well, the first time I was like, is that Nathan Lane? But his his name, it, I don't know what happened, like who he paid. It does not show up on Wikipedia, and it is not in the front page of IMDb. Like you have to uh, click on. Really, that's so. Strange. See more people. I had to go to Nathan Lane's IMDb page to find this movie because I was like, "Is huh. that Nathan Lane?" It's definitely him. Yeah, that's very weird. And then, uh, longtime friend of the show, Mister Abe Vagoda, is playing the leader of this tribe. Yeah. You know, famously dead, a pagoda. <laughs> See our Prancer episode, which might be up on the Patreon. I can't remember how long ago that was, but uh, one of the funniest things that's ever happened on this podcast is you discovering the website is com and me dying. <laughs> I have to go back and listen to that one. When I think Christmas, I just think about One Magic Christmas now. 
Like that yeah, is yeah, the pinnacle yeah. of, of a Christmas episode for me. It is. I mean, it's a bonkers movie. Um, it's totally, totally bonkers. Prancer is not nearly as fun as One Magic Christmas, but the bit about Abe Vigoda, I think, is very funny. But I, lo- I love his delivery here. He's like, tonight we'll have a big feast and then you jump in a volcano. Okay. It's like very we're, we got 18 minutes left in this movie, kids. So we're going to have to speed things along. It's big dad energy. Yes, exactly. You, uh, how you kids doing? You doing good? All right. Here's your mother. <laughs> so they go to get prepped by the Islanders and Meg Ryan's having a spa day. She's getting like pumiced and, uh, you know, oiled and all these lovely things. And Tom Hanks is just being systematically tortured by a group of men. It's weird. Like it's so strange. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> they're hitting him with fish at one point. They're biting uh, his toenails. They they're biting his toenails like to clip them, and then like one guy blows stuff on his face and they lick it off. I don't know what they're blowing on him, but they're I, going nuts for it. It's so weird. And it ends with Tom Hanks having to pretend an octopus is stuck in his face and rip it off, which is very funny. Like his he sells it really well. Yeah. Poor octopus. You're too smart for this. Yeah, I hope it was a fake dead octopus, not a real dead octopus, but I think we... It looked like a real octopus that was... It was a real dead octopus. Oh, for sure. Trying to breathe. No, it was... I was a dead octopus. I thought I saw him move. Like, after he takes it off his face. It moves because Tom Hanks is, like, shaking it all around. Yeah, but once he peels it off his face, I thought I saw the tentacles wiggle. Oh, okay. Maybe. I thought it was just wiggling because he was, like, shaking his hand so much. Because he's doing a lot of woody in this. Yeah. You are a toy. A toy. You know, that kind of. Yeah. So they have both have really fancy duds on. We knew he had a tux, but Meg Ryan somehow has. Where did this, she like, get a dress tux. from? Yeah, it's this like it's not just that uh, she has a dress. It's like a very nice gown, like an off the shoulder, very fancy. Yeah, it's not like thing. oh, who braided Leia's hair in the Ewok village? Yeah, it's like it's like one of the Ewoks did. Yeah, like that's fine. I can believe that. It's like where did she get a Jessica Rabbit dress on this yeah, island? Yeah. Also. I have seen this like four times and it gets a genuine guffaw for me every time. There are two giant gongs and to ring them, two full-sized people swing into them, ring the gongs, and then four other people, two and two teams of two, hop, 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 hop in with stretchers, put them on the stretchers and then hop, 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 carry them out. I, I've seen, I watched this movie the second time in two months and I still laughed out loud at that. I'm sorry. It's a Looney Tunes joke that just really works. It is. It's fun. So apparently because this tribe loves orange soda now, no one wants to jump into the volcano. Like, I guess orange soda is a good enough reason to live. Well, yeah, it's just they basically it's like I think what it's supposed to be is they've been like poisoned by our modern culture and like they don't have their old ways anymore. Like nobody feels that is what I'm guessing we're going for. Um, So he's like, I'll ask one more time, but no one's going to want to do it. So I guess you can jump into the volcano tomorrow. Not tomorrow, right now. Oh, oh that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> tonight. Um, it's not even tonight. It's immediately following dinner. Like, my man doesn't even get a chance to pee post this feast. It's just like, all right, off you go. He could pee into the volcano before he does it. Yeah, he could. He could. That would be a, a wild thing to try. That's. I'm now like trying to picture that. That seems so crazy. I don't think you could get close enough. I think you would get gassed. I think you could pee into a lava flow. I don't think you could pee yeah. into an active volcano. Um, well, you would probably be very damaged if you got close enough to a lava flow to pee on it. But like theoretically, should a lava flow be sub- substantially far enough below you, you could pee into a lava flow. Yeah. So no one volunteers because duh. Um, and there's a really great shot of them all walking up the volcano. Mm-hmm. 
It's the same like zigzaggy lightning bolt pattern that happens earlier. Yeah. And at this point, this is where I was like, oh, Andrew's going to hate this so much. But I think it's kind of earned and also kind of interesting. It's like, she's like, you can't do this. I'm sorry, but I love you. It doesn't make any sense. I've never felt this way about anyone before. And I feel about you. I don't even like you. I don't even think I like you that much. But somehow I'm in love with you. And it's just like, this is completely inexplicable. I don't understand it. Yeah, I think... It, I liked it because it it is so weird. This movie yeah. again, it needs to be like fifteen to twenty percent more surreal. Yeah. Um, but I was like, yeah, I guess like you, he saved your life, so there's gonna be a kinship there, and sure. he's telling you he's gonna jump into a volcano. Like, there's a lot to unpack here. So sure. Right. And they also had some pretty intense, you know, heart to heart, open open heart conversations in the in the week leading up to well, her what she feels like is a week leading up to this. You know, it's it's like it's I, I believe that she would feel attached to him. Yeah. And he he has a great response where he's like, that's crazy. I think I love you, too. But the timing stinks. And he kisses her on the cheek and starts walking up to the volcano, which is great. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So she's like, hang on, chief, marry us. <laughs> and she really puts him on the spot, which she agrees to. But I'm like, wow, that's I know I'm about to jump in a volcano, but that's like a big commitment to make. Yeah. But again, your commitment for 30 seconds. Right. Right. Or so yeah, they they get married. The chief, it's it's this, it's basically the wedding from the third or fourth Pirates of the Caribbean, where Barbosa's like, just kiss already. Yeah, do you? Yes, do you? Great, you're married. Uh, and they're like, she's like, well, I'm gonna jump in with you. And um, what should have happened is they jump in, and the volcano spits them out. And then we should have cut to uh, Aunt Beru and Uncle Owen's charred skeletons from the first Star Wars movie, just like <laughs> sinking splayed out. Yeah, because the the lava is not what kills you in the volcano. Right. It's I mean it, everything it that you <laughs> before that. There's the gas. There's the heat. There's yes. everything that leads up to it is what kills you, not the lava. Yes. Right. So. Also, if the lava shot out and rocketed you out, it's rocketing a charred corpse. Yeah. <laughs> or, or like you know, you know when people do lava. pressure cooker or deep fry turkeys on Thanksgiving and they deep just fried turkey, ex- not pressure explode, and a turkey just like rockets into the air. Like that's what this is. They don't typically rocket into the air. I'm sorry to burst your bubble. They just blow up and spray fiery oil everywhere. Well, I liked it better when they uh, I thought they flew. It's funny to think of, but that's just not how it works. Uh, Um, There's a really great show on the on YouTube called ASAP Science. They break down what would happen if you fell into a volcano very clearly. Yeah. Uh, And I love here that like the three trunks pop up like the barrels and jaws. All I could think of is (laughs) like I never seen a, a, a hammerhead that can stay down with three trunks on him. Suitcase ex machina. So they, they hop aboard these things, and they're like, I can't believe we survived. And meanwhile, the island is just sinking, and all the islanders yep. are dying. All the islanders are dying. Again, the white so, people don't care about the other people. Well, well, funnily enough, uh, so I back to that same interview with him I read. He's like, they don't die. And the guy, the the the, the person- Where they turn into mermaids, like, and it's Atlantis? No, 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 no. The person interviewing was like, what are you talking about? The island sinks. And he's like, yeah, they get on their boats. And he's like, why didn't you show that? <laughs> yeah. They have- like, show me the boats. I mean, they, we saw like, the boats, but like... According to the director, and so I wonder if this isn't... So there is an alternate ending, which we can talk about briefly, but I wonder if some of that footage isn't that. Like, they did film it and they just didn't show it because mm. they... the In the alternate ending, there's 
in particular, a scene. So earlier, Ava Goda held up this totem and he's like, this is my soul. And they're like, I hope you don't lose that. And in the alternate ending, Abe Vigoda pops up out of the water, and then he finds his soul totem, and he like has it again. Oh, okay. So, so there's a there's there's some of that, but the rest of the alternate ending is wild. So we should just finish this up, and I can quickly tell you about that. Um, yes. So she she they start talking on the thing on the on the on the trunks, and Meg Ryan finds out about the brain cloud and the doctor, and then she's like, "Wait a minute, my dad duped you! Like this is all a trap." Yeah, it turns out his doctor is a doctor that her dad owns. So the whole thing was fake, which like, but like, why Tom Hanks? Because he didn't have, because he didn't have any family and because he was the hypochondriac, so they could just convince him of anything. I just, now I'm, but like, once I learned that, I was like, but then how, how did he get linked up with Ellis, Dr. Ellison? Like, how did the fake doctor? I assume it's the same way any rich person does anything, which is money. That's how they have their human hunts, you know? No, but like, then how did Tom Hanks get with Dr. If Dr. Ellison doesn't take patients... Right, so I think it was like uh, they probably paid. It's probably like that uh, that Netflix movie about the the elder care where they like they paid off a real oh, doctor care a lot. to refer them. Yeah, yeah, they pay off a real doctor to refer them. They're like, look, we need a guy with no family who's a hypochondriac. You refer to my doctor, I'll give you ten thousand dollars. You know what I mean? Gotcha. So th- she's like, I can't believe you didn't get a second opinion. Like, you know, I mean, it's called Brain opinion? Cloud. That is a stupid name. She's right. It is a very stupid name. She's totally right. And then, you know, they live happily ever after. I also realized that, like, Dr. Ellison doesn't show him the CT nope. scan. Not a which, scan, like, not, a, not a test result. Which, like, honestly, just show me a CT scan with some magic marker on it. Like, right. Yeah. How am I going to know? I'm an idiot. Yeah. So apparently in the alternate ending, they pop up. The, the We didn't mention this, but the, the, the yacht is either the Tweedledee or the Tweedledum, and there's a twin yacht. And so Tweedledee is hers. Tweedledum okay. was the other one. So in the alternate version, they get ejected from the volcano. Tweedledum shows up. On board Tweedledum is Dagmar and the boys. They're alive. Oh, thank God. Also on this boat is the doctor and Lloyd Bridges. So Robert Stack and Lloyd Bridges come. Is Angelica there too? I don't think that mentions Angelica, but it's revealed that it was a ruse and then they're going to like shoot Tom Hanks, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Like, I don't know why, like at that point, what's like no harm, no foul here. Like you paid the guy, he jumped in the volcano. We got launched out of it. Like what, what else is he supposed to do? You know, it's like he fulfilled his end of the contract and it's not like you owe him anything further. Yeah. But Uh, now he knows that this happened and he can go to the police. Yeah. But what are they going to do? Who's going to believe this story that he jumped in a volcano? They think he was a lunatic. He'd be he'd be in a, in a straitjacket before he finished conversation. Probably. Come on. You think the police are going to take mental health seriously? Not mental health. But they'd be like, this doctor lied to me. Like, this is a fake doctor. Get his license taken away. Yeah, I think they're like, yeah, okay, buddy. You don't have enough money. We're going to put you in the sanitarium. But yeah, that's the alternate ending, which apparently test audiences really hated. So they, they ditched that. No shit. Yeah, it's bad. It's not a good ending. I like Dagmar and the boys being okay. Yeah, yeah. I would have been fine if they were on like a little rubber raft and instead of the trunks popping up, it's like Dagmar and the boys. Like this movie is nonsense. Yeah. Who cares? Like it would have been fine with me if Dagmar it could have been that with like Angelica kicking like a motor. Like exactly. We're, yeah, yeah, exactly. We we're here. It's a weird yeah. movie. Yeah. <laughs> I've been kicking since Los Angeles. Now I went Nick Cage with it. I, I, I you went, you went Nick Ca- Nicholas Cage meets Jimmy Stewart on that one. <laughs> I, I went, I went like full face off Nick Cage, Jimmy Stewart. Oh boy, 
Uh, but yeah, that would I'm I'm fine. Like at this point, at that point in the movie, I'm, I'm either I've bought in or I haven't. But it doesn't matter anymore. So because like, it's over, right? Exactly. Um, but yeah, I I find this movie super super charming. I think it's a really great underrated Tom Hanks performance. I think Meg Ryan is very good in it, despite the fact that I don't really care for her. Um, yeah, it's it's yeah, cute. But, I don't love yeah. it, but I like it. Yeah. I love the like sort of dystopian office environment stuff in the beginning. That I think is is really really great. Like, yeah, that's definitely the, the punching moment. above its weight class. Yeah, I mean it's just it's excellent, um, and I like the rest of it too. Like you know I like them falling in love and all that business. I think is really charming. So I, I heartily recommend this one. Like I said, it's our, our first non. Uh, leap day foray out of the 80s but uh, we won't be doing this too often but this one i mean this one i don't even really think is bending the rules all that much it's like not really six days yeah so uh, i don't i don't think it's that big of a of a stretch for this particular one but yeah i think it's super super recommendable i i got it's i own it on blu-ray as i said but it's also available through some library systems on hoopla you might be able to track it down but honestly you could do worse for a two dollar rental if you're into like better off dead and that sort of weird oddball stuff you probably yeah. like this there's not quite enough better off dead. I will just to be clear. I I don't I I don't have a I don't have a big rebuttal to that. I agree with you. It has that energy, but I agree it could be weirder. It definitely could be weirder. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Don't forget to head on over to uh, wherever you get it and write a review and subscribe to the show if you haven't done that in a while. Apparently, we're supposed to be telling you to do that for 200 episodes. So big mistake on our end. Uh, at dissect the 80s on twitter we love to hear from you and uh dissecting the 80s on facebook we always like to hear from listeners so say hello and um review the show like i said if you review the show we read those on the air so go do that if you're reviewing it not on itunes you'll have to send us a screenshot it's dissecting the 80s at gmail.com but we read those on the air so send us your reviews and we will read them thank you again so much for listening to the show can't believe this is episode 201 holy mackerel that's so weird uh yeah totally totally wild but thank you for listening to it we'll be back in two weeks for the final uh t hanksgiving palooza with dragnet a movie i can't wait to rewatch. i probably watched this 30 times on comedy central back in the day really also a weird duck oh yeah all the time huh. uh, also a weird duck movie that i have not watched easily in 20 years so very excited to see if i still enjoy this but i remember it being the kind of weird nonsense that i really liked plus tom hanks raps along with dan Aykroyd. so Oh, wow. to look forward to. Wow. White guy rapping. Thank you all so much. Thank you all so much once again. I have been Trip Lano. I will always be Andrew Lano. Until next time. Don't you forget about me. Dissecting the 80s is a chum sum of this production. Ow.